Welcome to Down to Earth but Heavenly Minded Podcast. Hosted by Irving Rich. Light and Life Meditations on the Gospel and Epistles of John. By James Boyd. 9. John 6 continued. He was the bread of God come down from heaven, the giver and the sustainer of the life he gives. But though an object of interest to the crowd that followed him, he was not believed in but by a very few. The common people might hear him gladly. The brainless multitude might desire to make him a king, and if the leaders were to make him prisoner, they must do it in the absence of the populace. Everyone had his own opinion regarding him. Some said, of a truth this is the prophet. Others said, this is the Christ. But it was nothing but their opinion, based upon their observance of him. There was not an element of faith in it. And of what value is the opinion of the creature regarding his creator? It is of neither more nor less value than is the opinion of the philosopher regarding the holy scriptures, and that is simply of no value at all. As to why the gospel is in certain cases believed, repentance wrought in the soul, and Christ received as Lord, may be hard for even a true follower of the Saviour to determine. When our Lord was here on earth some believed on him, and some believed not, and it was the same with regard to the gospel when preached in the power of the Spirit after his resurrection. And it is the same today. Yet in the majority of instances the man that believes has no better opportunity of settling the question than has the man who rejects. Nathanael confessed him as the Son of God, the King of Israel, and Jesus says to him, Because I said unto thee, I saw thee under the fig tree, believest thou? Some will say, that was poor ground for faith to rest on. From a human standpoint this may be reasonably concluded, but it altered the whole tenor of the man's life. Peter confesses him as the Christ, the Son of the living God, Matthew chapter 16 verse 16, and the reply of Jesus to this is, Blessed art thou, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And here we get from the Lord himself the divine solution of the question, Peter had heard and learned of the Father. It was no opinion with him, the light of the Godhead of the Son was shining in his soul. There is no one left without sufficient light from God, that his wandering footsteps may be guided back to his beneficent creator, but if men refuse to follow the light given to them, preferring the darkness, they cannot complain against God, if he in his sovereign and eternal might secure for his own glory a remnant out of this rebellious race, that they may be to the praise of that glory in the day of its display. The flesh of Christ must be eaten, and his blood must be drunk, that is, his death must be appropriated. He gave himself for us, for us he suffered, and are we to reject the sacrifice he made on our behalf? Are we to go in the way of Cain, and say that we are not under the judgment of death, that there was no need for blood shedding in our interest? Can we thank God for the good things of this life, acknowledging that they all come from him, and yet require no one to bear judgment for us? Nor we see any righteousness in making the innocent suffer for the guilty. Are we to say as men do say, though we may not be all that we would like to be, yet we are not on the low level of our forefathers? And Jesus and others like him have set us good example, which if we follow we shall find that perfection that we would all like to reach. Therefore we need not despair, nor go back to the darkness of the barbarous age in which the bloody sacrifice was invented. How early in the history of the church was the voice of divine displeasure sent forth, woe unto them. For they have gone in the way of Cain, Jude chapter 11. That is the divine answer. His flesh was given for the life of the world. I have the privilege, given to me of God, of making that death mine. And thus reckoning that all that I am as under the judgment of God is gone in that judgment that fell upon my Saviour when he gave himself to bear it, that I might go free. It is the only way of salvation, but it is all sufficient. I appropriate that death. I eat his flesh and drink his blood, and thus eat and drink death to all that I am as of the old and sinful order of fallen man. I have eternal life.
I dwell in him, and he dwells in me. He is my life. I have none other, and as possessor of this life I look to be in the resurrection of life, that is, if my Lord has not come before I pass away from this scene. If I do pass away before then, he shall quicken this mortal body by his almighty power, and fashion it like his own, in the day when he shall rise to subdue all things to himself. But at the risk of a certain amount of repetition, though I trust not wearisome, I will come back to the first chapter, where it is said. The word became flesh. Our word is the means by which we make known our thoughts to others, and the word of God is that by which he manifests all that he has to say to us. He comes a man amongst men. I was on the point of saying, the most accessible man upon earth, but that will not do, for he was with respect to other men neither comparative, nor superlative, what he was he was absolutely. What he was he was incomparably. How could it be otherwise with regard to him, for, the word was God. Such words of grace as flowed from his lips had never been before heard within the limits of the vast creation. In this way he drew near to men, and on this account the vilest of the fallen human race could draw near to him. His words sounded the deepest depths of the human heart, and laid it bare in all its utter loathsomeness, but the words that did this came warm from the fountain of eternal love. So that men felt that it was the friend of sinners who was talking to them. No one could bring to light and condemnation the cursed pride that, like a fell weed, dug its deadly fibers into the heart of Job, as Elihu could. But to no one else could Job have given such a ready and attentive ear, for though Elihu did not spare him, as one would to whom the gravity of his empty pride was of little importance. Yet the poor afflicted patriarch felt that the one who most mercilessly condemned his erring words was not against him. How very forcibly this spirit of grace and truth made itself felt in the words and ways of Jesus. But that the word should be made flesh was a necessity, because in the ways of God this must be, if the counsels of eternal love were to be righteously fulfilled. The one who could take the position of life-giving spirit toward men who lay dead in sins must be one whose life, given as a ransom for all, would be of such value that it would meet the requirements of a righteous God, and efface the dishonor that had been done to his holy name and character. If he is by his quickening power to bring souls out from moral death, then must he bear the judgment that lay upon them. This could only be done by his becoming flesh. It can only be a man that is able to meet the claims of God, and bear the judgment which lay upon those whom he is to bring out of death, making them live to God. Hence he is spoken of as the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. This has opened a way of salvation for rebellious sinners, glorifying God who approaches men in grace. And which eventually will be the ground upon which the whole sinful scene shall be cleansed from the presence of that which is so hateful to God and bring in a new heaven and a new earth in which shall dwell righteousness. Therefore his becoming flesh was a divine necessity. For as much as the children were partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is, the devil, and deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. Hebrews chapter 2 verses 14 to 15. The Antichrists in the days of the Apostles denied Christ thus come, and against them the saints are warned, 1 John chapter 4 verses 1 to 6, 2 to 7, every spirit that confesseth that Jesus Christ is come in flesh is of God. And every spirit that confesseth not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is not of God. The reader will notice here that the passage is not speaking of persons but of spirits. Though surely it is by means of persons that these spirits speak. Still, many a person willingly subscribes to orthodox views who has no part in the blessings of the gospel. But if one is speaking by a spirit he will not confess him as come in flesh, nor will he call him Lord, 1 Corinthians chapter 12 verse 3, because it is really the spirit that is speaking and not the man. 
The denial of either the Godhead or the manhood of Christ is the denial of Christianity root and branch, and for a professing Christian to deny either is to prove himself apostate from Christ, and to place himself outside the pale of Christian charity. Let us see to it that these two great truths of Christ's person are not only held fast by ourselves but by everyone to whom we extend the right hand of fellowship. At the same time let us wholeheartedly acknowledge all who love our Lord Jesus Christ in incorruption. Ephesians chapter 6 verse 24. John the Baptist points him out as the Lamb of God who taketh away the sin of the world. It is not the sins, but the sin of the world, that evil principle that was begotten by the devil and to which Adam opened the door for its entrance into the world, that shall be taken away by the Lamb of God. A day is coming in which there shall not be a single trace of it left either in heaven or on earth. We look for a new heaven and a new earth in which righteousness shall dwell, 2 Peter chapter 3 verse 13. Sin and its attendant consequences shall then have disappeared forever. But the very fact that it is the Lamb that shall do it conveys to our hearts the right impression, that it shall not be done without a sacrifice on his part, by whom the sin shall be done away. The Lamb must first of all be slain, and a way opened up in righteousness by which God shall be glorified and sinners saved. The Lamb is the Word become flesh, the incarnate Son of the living God. In the love of God he came in flesh that he might be the propitiation for our sins, and that we might be brought back to God in righteousness and love with the bread that endures to everlasting life in their midst how eagerly they ran after the bread that perished. They say, Lord, evermore give us this bread, but they could view it in no other light than as bread for the support of human life here in this world. When they saw it was not this, it lost its interest for them. To appropriate a dead Christ, in opposition to a living Messiah after the flesh, was not to be thought of by them. Words that were to the disciples words of eternal life were to the carnal-minded crowd, a hard saying, not to be listened to. When they had eaten of the loaves and fishes they were convinced he was the prophet that should come into the world, and they would at once make him a king. But if they have to do with God about their sinful and ruined state, and if they must own that death lies upon them as the just judgment of God on account of their sins, and also that their Messiah must shed his blood on their behalf, as atonement for their many transgressions, then they can see no gospel for them in that. Israel was placed under a ritual that bore the most powerful testimony to the fact that man was a sinner, and therefore under the judgment of death and that there was no way back into acceptance with God except on the ground of the death of a victim, which had personal excellency, and which died in his room and stead, and not only that. But the prophets bore united testimony to the sufferings of Christ on their behalf, yet who among them in that day of Christ's appearing believed that he must suffer for sin on their behalf. The life of flesh has a powerful hold upon every one of us, and it is only when we get some clear understanding of God's way of deliverance and the liberty and joy that is ours by means of that deliverance, that we can be truly thankful for it. Of that deliverance the Holy Spirit is the power, and apart from him it is impossible to be realized. It is necessary to know the doctrine, but the knowledge of this is not sufficient, I must have power to appropriate the doctrine to my own case, and only the Spirit can enable me to do this. How many saints are trying to reckon themselves dead to sin and alive to God, and yet are finding this doctrine altogether contradicted by the practical experience? Along with the knowledge of the truth regarding this most important subject we require to be indwelt by the Holy Spirit of God, who is the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus. Rom. 8. The life of Christ cannot be separated from the Spirit, and it is the law, or principle, of that life in us that sets us free from the law, or principle of sin and death. And of that Spirit we believers are partakers. Not only is Jesus pointed out by John as the Lamb of God who taketh away the sin of the world, but also as the Son of God who baptizes with the Holy Ghost, John chapter 1 verses 32 to 34. 
This great gift is given to dwell in all who believe the gospel of their salvation, Ephesians chapter 1 verse 13. By him we know that we are in Christ, beyond the reach of condemnation. We are in the one who bore the condemnation, and who glorified God in bearing it, and now that we are in him we come into all the results of the work accomplished by him when made sin for us. All this is infinitely precious, but can only be understood as we enter into our new position in him, and only by the Spirit can this position be intelligently entered into.